journey, tedious journey. Alienated from this world, and I'm gonna be set apart and be get your house in order by Brother Tim Aaron. In those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amoz, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order. For you shall die, you shall not recover. 2 Kings 22 verse 1, ESV. Brother Tim Aaron brings the word of God for the end time. You can find more information about Brother Tim Aaron at www.thetinthenightministries.com. And here is Brother Tim Aaron. Glory to glory to glory to God. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Thank you for tuning in to another broadcast of Get Your House in Order. I'm your host, Tim Aaron. Hopefully you have uh, been tuning in to my previous shows and uh, uh, sharing uh, the information you have learned from the other shows with family, friends, and, and, and your brothers and sisters in Christ at your Bible studies, at your churches, creating a discussion, uh, you know, causing uh, faith to increase, causing knowledge to increase according to the word of God. You know, that's the purpose of this ministry is to uh, strengthen the body of Christ first. And then uh, we, in turn, can then go into the world and then uh, hopefully win souls for Christ. So uh, keep tuning in. Uh, hopefully you will be provoked to study the word of God more. Uh, try me at what I am saying. And, um, and then have discussions at your local church and at your Bible studies. Okay, uh, before I go any further, I would like to open up the show with offering you an invitation to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. You know, about 2,000 years ago, uh, Jesus came to the earth through the Virgin Mary. He came through the door. Um, Jesus says, he that comes any other way, the same as a thief and a robber, referring to the devil. But he came through the door, through the womb, through the Virgin Mary. And he had a primary goal in mind, and that was to redeem man back to God, because man had been lost in his sins. Uh, thanks to Adam and Eve uh, for partaking of the forbidden fruit. And from that point forward, men were lost in their sins, separated from God. And so Jesus wanted to fix that. He wanted to reconcile uh, bridge the gap between man and God once again. So he came to the earth and he decided to give his life for the sins of the world. Now, when Jesus was on the earth around 2000 years ago, he did all sorts of wonderful, amazing things. Um, you know, he healed the sick, uh, raised the dead, opened blinded eyes, opened deaf ears. People who did not have any hope all of a sudden now had hope. And, and not only had hope, but got their needs met on the spot. Uh, so as a, as a result, though, Jesus made a lot of haters. He made a lot of enemies. People were leaving their churches, their synagogues and following Jesus. And a lot of uh, church leadership did not like that. OK. And so they conspired on how they were going to kill Jesus or how they was going to get rid of Jesus, have him arrested in prison or whatever. And so they end up lying on him, falsely accusing him and having him arrested. And when he was arrested, the, the Roman soldiers, which were the police at the time, they were they were mean and they were nasty towards the Lord. They would spit on him. They would punch him, slap him, mock him, uh, make fun of, of his uh, preaching and teaching. And they eventually nailed him to a cross, nailed him to a tree. And uh, they they made a crown of thorns and, and 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 smashed them down on his head till blood started running down his face, and then they hung him on his on this cross and let him suffer there. And when he was thirsty and he asked for water, they gave him vinegar to drink. So they was really uh, mean and nasty and 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 extremely disrespectful to our Lord and Savior. And he eventually died on the cross. Okay, and um. But what they didn't know was that they were f fulfilling his goal. And that was to give his life as the ultimate sacrifice, as a lamb sheds his blood for sins, for the sins of the world, past, present and future. 
John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Uh, Romans 10 and 9, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in thine heart that God had raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. All you have to do is believe that Jesus is the son of God and that he rose from the dead 2,000 years ago, and that he is Lord of the world. And all you have to do is accept him as your personal Lord and Savior and believe that, and you are saved. It's just that simple. If you can believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are saved. Amen. Glory to God. Hopefully, you have made that choice. If you have made that choice, it is the best choice. It's the best decision you can ever make in your entire life. Okay, today's lesson, today's teaching is going to be titled Year in Review. Year in Review. 2018 is at an end. Thank God for another year. Thank God for seeing us through another year, for keeping us. And um, so we're going to have this be titled Year in Review. We're going to just cover a, a bunch of uh, stuff that was taught uh, on this ministry over the year. And uh, hopefully um, it would be a blessing to you. Okay. Uh, so that's, um, let's just go ahead and start off with the rapture. You know, you know, that's one of the most talked about uh, topics uh, when there's a, uh, a question answer service the a lot of a lot of uh, end time questions come up and a lot of uh, marriage questions come up um so i'm gonna go ahead and start off with the rapture um this ministry teaches that the rapture takes place post tribulation post tribulation now the more popular teaching is pre tribulation you know a lot of christians today believe that Jesus comes um, at the uh, seven years before uh, the end, seven years before his second coming. His second coming takes place on the last day, uh, as the Bible put it, um, the last day. And a lot of uh, believers and, and Christians believe and teach that the rapture takes place seven years before the last day. But there's really not a lot of scripture to support that, you know, and uh, with that being said, you know, it is it is so important to try to interpret scripture by scripture because so many people make the mistake of making scripture fit popular opinion, culture, tradition. And, and, and that's what that's not what the scriptures for. It's not for your personal adjustments. OK, we are we are the pliable ones. We are supposed to adjust to the scripture. We're not supposed to make the scripture adjust to us. And uh, but, you know, it, politics is another reason why a lot of people make uh, uh, will adjust scripture to fit uh, certain situations because of for political reasons. And when I say political, I'm not talking about uh, Democrat, Republican. I'm talking about popular belief. You know, that's another word for politics. And uh, people like uh, fitting in. They like getting along with the majority. And that's unfortunate. You know, uh, I believe it is Matthew chapter seven, where Jesus talks about broad is the way that leads to destruction. But straight and narrow is the way that leads to righteousness. So. You got to you got to watch it trying to fit in with the majority because most people are, are going to lose. Most people are going to follow the path to destruction, you know, and and the and the straight narrow path, you know, few people there be that find it is how the scripture says it. So don't get caught up in how many people uh, takes takes this point of view and how many people take that point of view you gotta uh be led by the by the scripture you know and and there's not a lot of scripture evidence that supports that jesus comes back 
uh, uh, or he has a rapture. Excuse me. Now, that's another thing. The rapture and the second coming are two different things. And uh, a lot of people teach that the rapture is going to take place seven years before the second coming. But that's just simply not scripture, in my opinion. So uh, let's dive into it. You know, I always base, you know, my perspective on John chapter six, John chapter six, starting at the 39th verse all the way to the 54th verse. Now there, Jesus says four times in that text, in that passage of scripture, he says four times that all them that belong to him, he's going to gather again to himself at the last day. At the last day, everyone that belongs to him, he's not going to lose nothing. All those, all those, you know, whether you're dead or alive, if you belong to Jesus, he's going to gather you up again. When? At the last day. He says it at the 39th verse, I believe the 40th verse, the 40, the 44th verse, and the 54th verse. Four times. So, with that being said, I don't know how anybody comes up with a, a, a seven-year prior rapture. All those, all, a LL, all those that belong to him, he's going to gather up again unto himself at the last day, the last day, people, not seven years before, not three and a half years before, but at the last day when the sun would be darkened. Now, now this is Matthew chapter 24, I believe starting at the 29th verse, when the sun would be darkened and the moon would not give her light. And the stars of heaven will fall. That is describing the last day when the sun will be darkened and the moon will no longer give her light and the stars of heaven will fall. I don't know if you understand that significance, but the sun and the moon has never went dark before ever. We've had eclipse of the sun. We've had eclipse of the moon, but they still are shining. They've just been blocked. And I believe those eclipses are like foreshadows, you know, of what the end, the last day is going to look like. See, these these things are like light bulbs that have never went dark, the sun and the moon. But one day they're going to go dark and that's going to represent the last day. People, the sun would be dark and the moon would not give her light. and The stars of heaven will fall. Then shall appear in heaven the sign of the son of man. And he shall instruct his angels to gather his elect from the four winds of the earth. Four winds, north, south, east, and west. Now, this scripture, Matthew chapter 24, is talking about the same thing John chapter 6 is talking about. It's talking about the last day and the rapture and the second coming of Jesus Christ. So there you have it. The second coming of Jesus Christ and the rapture take place the same day. The rapture is going to be a microsecond of his second coming. It's going to take place during his second coming in a blink of an eye, fraction of a second. Uh, the Apostle Paul uh, says in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, you know, shall uh, the Lord gather his people it's going to be so quick, you know, the most people won't even see it happen. You know, um, now, with that being said, I need to clear up something. People confuse one shall be taken and the other one left. Uh, we see that in uh, Luke chapter uh, 17. And we see that, I believe, in uh, Matthew chapter um, 25. Um we see this phrase, one shall be taken and the other one left. Uh, and people think that is describing the rapture when it's not. That's not the rapture at all. Uh, then that's part of the Lord's judgment. Now, I might get back and talk about that a little bit later on this show. But understand, that is not the rapture. That is that is the judgment. That is the wrath of God. The one that is taken is going to be punished and the one that's left is going to be punished. That's the wrath of God. 
Okay, but now I get back into the rapture in the moment in the twinkling of an eye. And uh, so this is a uh, first Corinthians chapter 15, I believe, verse 53, uh, when he talks about how fast the, the rapture is going to take take place uh, at the sound of the last trump, the last trump, the last trumpet. Now, there are seven trumpets. So this takes place at the last trumpet, the rapture that Paul is describing, which also we see in Matthew chapter 24 again at the sound of, of the trumpet will the Lord send his angels together, his elect from the four winds of the earth. So this is all letting us know that there's tons of scripture evidence letting us know that the rapture takes place at the end, at the last day. Uh, there's, and, 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 uh, and so at the second coming, it takes place at the last day as well. No pre-tribulation rapture, no mid-tribulation rapture. It all takes place at the last day. Understand that people, because it will allow you to look for signs of the end. Okay. There's going to be a final seven year period according to, um, I believe it's Daniel chapter nine. It's going to be a final week or a final seven year period that's going to take place. And we got to know what to look for. You know, a major treaty is going to take place, signed by many, according to Daniel chapter nine. I believe it's uh, Daniel nine twenty seven, And it's going to this covenant is going to be signed by many. So we're talking about like the United Nations or something. 192 member states are in the United Nations, I believe. Um, and that, that, and, and they're going to sign this covenant, this treaty. Now, a lot of people want to call it a peace treaty between Israel and Palestine, but I don't limit it to that. You know, it could be some kind of crude oil treaty or some kind of global warming treaty. I'm, I'm, I'm keeping the door open for other possibilities. Instead of always wanting to make it about uh, Israel, you know, because it might not necessarily be about Israel, um, which takes me back to Matthew chapter 24, when he says he's going to gather his elect from the four winds of the earth, north, south, east and west, his elect. He's going to send his angels to gather his elect at the sound of the trumpet from the four winds of the earth. Now, who is the elect of God? Now, what you have to understand in the Old Testament, the elect were the Jews. OK, but in the New Testament, the elect is the church. The people of God go from uh, a birthright to the blood of Jesus Christ. So it's not limited to a nationality or a race or ethnic group of people. Like it was in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, the people of God are anybody who has accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Um, the Apostle Paul t touches on that in Colossians chapter three. You know, he's talking to the church in Colossia. I, I guess that's how you would say it. And he's giving them instructions on to be merciful and to be meek and to be kind. As he says, he tells them in um Colossians chapter three, verse 12, he says, as the elect of God, uh, holy uh, and uh, blessed, he says, you should have bowels of mercy, kindness, humility, meekness, you know, as the elect of God, as the elect, he's talking to the church. He's not talking to just Jews. Now, if you know the apostle Paul's ministry, he was sent to save the, the heathen or what we call the Gentile, the people who are not Jews. Anybody who's not a Jew is called a Gentile. And that's who the Apostle Paul's ministry was for. And so that's what he is calling the church in Colossians here, you know, the elect. So and it's another thing that I want to point out, you know. It's one of those, let him that has ears to hear, hear what the spirit is saying. There was a story when um, some of Jesus's um, family, brothers and sisters and mother was 
was speaking against Jesus for doing things on the Sabbath day, you know, and um, and so Jesus was uh, teaching one day, Matthew chapter 12, I believe it was. And um, they wanted to get Jesus and, 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 and set him straight, you know, for doing stuff on the Sabbath day that they felt like he should not have been doing. And um, so, but it, it was a multitude where his mother and his brethren could not get to him. And uh, so they asked him and uh, they they told people, get Jesus, let let Jesus know we are out here trying to reach him. And so somebody said, Jesus, uh, your mother and your brethren are outside and they, they, they desire to speak with you. You know, and Jesus stopped and paused and he said, who is my mother and who are my brethren? And he said, watch this. He said, all them that do the will of my father, the same as my brother and my sister and my mother. So that that was a moment there. That was a moment letting you know the family of God is not going to consist of blood relationship or, uh, or, or nationality or race. He's letting us know that them that do the will of his father, those, those are the people who he are going to consider as his family, as his mother, as his brother, as his sister. Okay. And what's the will of God here? Jesus, Jesus, when he was being transfigured, I believe it was in Matthew chapter 17. Um, there was a voice from heaven that said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. That's the will of God for us to hear Jesus. Okay. Now the problem with the Jews at that time was they did not want to accept that. They wanted to continue to hear Moses and Moses only in the law and the prophets. But at the transfiguration, when Jesus was being transfigured, there was a moment where the Peter, James and John saw Elijah standing on one side of Jesus and Moses, I believe it was standing on the other and Peter said, it was good for us to have been here, Lord. We're going to make three temples, one for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah. And then the Bible says that there was a cloud that overcame them and the voice that said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And then they were afraid and hid their face. And then Jesus touched them when they looked up. They saw Jesus only. So what that's telling us is we don't need to hear the prophets, the Old Testament prophets anymore. We don't need to hear Moses anymore. We got Jesus now, the son of God, the word of God made flesh. Okay. So that's what that was all about. So that's the will of God is for us to hear Jesus, you know, and uh, Jesus says you will be his mother, his brother, and his sister. If you do the will of God. Okay. So, that's who the elect is. That's who the elect is. Understand that anybody who has accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you are now the elect, the church. Okay. All right. Moving on. Year in review. End of 2018. Um, so we covered the rapture. We covered the elect. Um, I want to talk about marriage again. Um, Marriage is a huge part of life. I believe that marriage is uh, Satan's major area of attack. Um, Satan understands how important marriage truth is. And if he, uh, he understands if he can get the world to not understand marriage truth, then he will always have his foot in the door. He will always be able to wreak havoc in the lives of many if people don't understand marriage truth. So I would like to just say right off the top of the bat of uh, what marriage is, because most people don't know what marriage is. Some, most people think marriage is having a marriage certificate with your state or with your country. Well, that's not God's definition of marriage. Uh, uh, it used to be in the 1800s uh, that people said you weren't married unless you had a wedding. Well, that's not true either. Uh, that's where you hear people having the saying the term the shotgun wedding, you know, or where where Paul would get his shotgun and make 
old boy marry his daughter because now she's knocked up and and he would get a priest and 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 hold him hostage and and have the priest perform a wedding and 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 make him say I do or whatever and the shotgun wedding. Well, we're going to talk about the true definition of what marriage is since the beginning of time, since Adam and Eve, all the way up to now and to the last day. Because Jesus says there will be no marriage, no physical marriage or given in marriage in the in the resurrection. Okay, so marriage is a commitment between a man who has left his parents and a woman consummated by sex. Let me say it again. Marriage is a commitment between a man who has left his parents and a woman consummated by sex. Okay. Um, where do I get that from? Matthew chapter five and Matthew chapter 19. Jesus says, have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? And for this cause shall a man leave father and mother and cleave to his wife. And they too, male and female should be one flesh. They're no longer twain, but one. Wherefore, what God has joined together, let not man put asunder, let not man separate. Okay. So because man and woman cannot separate after sex, there has to be a commitment. Okay. There has to be a lifelong commitment. So marriage is a commitment between a man who has left his parents and a woman consummated by sex. Okay. Um, so marriage, the definition of marriage is not a wedding. The definition of marriage is not a marriage license with state. And that really bothers me because so many churches today still teach shacking up, shacking up. And there's no such sin as shacking up in all the Bible. I've looked. I've never seen it. Don't exist. But churches still say, oh, you're shacking up. You're living together with, and, and you're not married. Well, not so. Not so. There's not no truth in that whatsoever. So what the church should have been teaching as far as shacking up goes is people who are living together, you are married. According to the true definition of marriage, if you're living together, chances are you have a commitment. Chances are um, y'all have had sex. And so instead of teaching that you're living in sin and you're fornicating, you should have been teaching that, hey, you're married. Recognize that. And you need to stay together. But unfortunately, that's not the teaching. There's something else different. So anyway, um, the church got to get it right. We got to get it right. Because like I said, this is Satan's number one area, I believe. Number one area of attack today. He has so much leverage against the people of God. And this is what we got to get right. And then there are those that say, well, the Bible says, obey the laws of the land. And that's, that's a scripture paraphrase referencing Romans chapter 13 and 1 Peter chapter 2. Well, what I have to say to that is the Bible teaches that you are to obey the laws of the land that are requirements. Okay. There is no requirement that says adults have to be legally married. There, There is no law that says you have to be legally married. It's optional. It's totally optional. It's not mandated. Uh, so obey the laws of the land don't even apply to legalize marriage. It's, it's, uh, it's an option, people. Okay, so you need to understand that. So that's why I say to people who are living together, understand you are married. Chances are you, you are you, you've had sex and you're living together, which shows commitment. So rather than saying you're living in sin because you don't, you don't have a marriage license, uh, it's just the opposite. You, you, you're living together. That shows commitment in their sex. So there's commitment between a man and a woman. That's the definition of marriage. You have met the requirements for marriage according to the word of God. So you're married. You need to stay together. You need to recognize your relationship as a marriage relationship, you know, the word of God doesn't begin and end with man's law. You know, that's not how it works. The word of God is the word of God. And I believe that 
what the church is going to eventually find out is that it is it is God's will that the people of God do not go to the courts for marriage or for anything else for that matter. Um, the people of God understand what marriage is according to God's word, and that should be enough. You should not seek the world's approval for marriage establishment. Okay. And um, the apostle Paul talks about this in first Corinthians chapter six, you know, he says, how dare one another go to the courts and to the law and to the unjust. He calls the law, the unjust uh, for disputes. You know, he said, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't go to the law. You shouldn't go to the courts. The church should be judges of themselves. The church should be able to discern right from wrong, know a lie from a truth and establish their own establishments without going, going to the courts of men. Apostle Paul talks about that in first Corinthians chapter six. So he calls the law, the unjust, you know, so you, you keep that in mind because the, the apostle Paul also, he also says, in Second uh, Corinthians chapter six, verse fourteen, he says, "Be not iniquity yoked together with unbelievers." So that's exactly what you do when you get legally married as Christians. When you go to the your state and you get a marriage license and you go through that process, you are now you and your spouse are now partnering up. Are marrying also the state because now the state is going to regulate regulate. Your relationship, the unjust, the ungodly, okay, the wicked. I mean, these are the same people that come up with same-sex marriage laws. You know, that's a contradiction within itself. Jesus says, have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? And for this cause, for the cause of male and female, marriage is a heterosexual institution. So to say same-sex marriage is a contradiction. And so that's what the, the courts of men or these state laws have come up with, this contradiction, you know, uh, and and they come up with all kind of other laws that are wicked, transgender laws, where they get to pick which bathroom they want to use. So your daughter can be in the bathroom with a man that's decided that he wanted to be a woman. You know, that kind of foolishness is going on in these states. And you want to take your marriage to them for establishment? And for righteousness reasons, you know, like like Jesus said, I trow not. Um, so we have to we have to get back to the truth of the matter, get back to the truth of things, and understand there really needs to be separation from church and state. You know, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. What fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion has light with dark? He says, Apostle Paul says this, Second um, Corinthians chapter six, verse fourteen. So, understand, people, uh, marriage is an important part of life. We got to get this right. We got to get this right. All the divorcing, all the problems with marriage, um, divorcing and remarriage, and divorcing and remarriage. All all this has to stop. Um. Once again, uh, I like to look at um, Luke chapter 16. That's an end time chapter. And, um, you know, Jesus starts off giving a parable about a wise steward who knew he was about to get fired. So he made friends with people so that he could have a place to go when he get fired. And then um, at the end of the chapter, I believe it talks about Lazarus and the poor man. I mean, and the rich man. So this is an end time chapter, but something very weird takes place in the very middle of this chapter. Out of the blue, out of the blue, Jesus says, um, let not the husband put away his wife and whosoever marrieth her that is put away commits adultery. He says, let me say that again. He says, uh, if a man puts away a wife 
his wife and marries another. He commits adultery. And whosoever marrieth her that is put away commits adultery. In the middle of this chapter, Luke chapter 16, why does he say that out of the blue? When he's given end time advice before that scripture and after that scripture. That tells me that Jesus is going to deal with this marriage problem in the last days. And it's not going to be pretty. So we need to understand, we need to get this marriage thing right. People who are living together need to understand they are married and they need to stay together. Don't be one of those kind of people. You live with this person for three years. You live with the next person for four years. Then you live with this other person for six months. And then you meet somebody new for the fourth time. And then they say, have you ever been married before? Oh, no, I've never been married. You've been married three times. Okay. Understand what marriage is. You've been married three times. I've never been. And now that they think they got somebody pure, never been married. Yeah. You've been married three times. So get this marriage understanding right. Marriage is a commitment between a man who has left his parents and a woman consummated by sex. Okay. I was listening to this preacher today. And all he wanted to do was talk about the problems of marriage today and how, hey, we need to repent. We need to repent. When a lot of times the, he and, and, and many others are responsible for the very problems that they are talking about. Divorcing and remarrying and they giving all these statistics about how terrible uh, children have it because they are more likely to not graduate from high school in a single parent home and how they are more likely to get on drugs and, you know, all of these bad things, which are bad, but they're talking about the problem that they are helping create because they never want to talk. They, they never want to talk about how Jesus says, swear not at all. Okay. But what do we see marriage day? You know, people saying marriage vows and swearing and uh, Jesus said, don't do it. He says, when you do that, evil comes. You know, when you swear and vow, he says that in Matthew chapter five. So, but what do we see in church during the wedding? A pastor leading the husband and a wife through a bunch of vows and, and swearing and promises. He says, don't do it. You can't make one hair white or black. Let your communication be yay, yay and nay, nay. Anything said above that cometh evil. That's what Jesus said. And then so some people. One time is not enough. They they actually renew the evil by renewing the vows later on. You know, evil comes. Evil comes. Don't you think that evil might have something to do with your marriage problems? Okay. You start your marriage off on the wrong foot by saying these vows that you shouldn't say. These Making these promises that you shouldn't make. Marriage vows does not appear nowhere in all scripture. Is this something that, came, that the men came up with? And now it's been made cute and fancy and all of this kind of stuff. And it should not be done. Okay. So understand this. No marriage vows in all the scripture. How about another area? Um, we see men and women wearing wedding rings. Well, the Apostle Paul teaches there should be an order. There should be an order. Uh, he says that. A woman should have her head covered when praying and prophesying and a man shouldn't. He is teaching this order because what he is getting at is that order helps, keeps uh, things in perspective, proper perspective. You know, if the man is wearing the pants and the woman is wearing the pants, if a man is wearing a ring and the woman is wearing a ring, if a woman has extensions in her hair and the man has extensions in his hair. Yeah, that's right. You see all of these Men nowadays want to wear extensions in their hair. I don't get that. But there is there is no order in the relationship anymore. And we wonder why our relationships fail, because there needs to be an order. He says in First Corinthians chapter 11 that this order needs to be kept. He says, for, the, for Christ is the head of every man and the man is the head of the woman and and. And, and God is head of all. And then he goes on to say that a woman praying, prophesying needs to have her head covered. That's a symbol of marriage. Okay. And then he said, a man praying, prophesying, he should not have his head covered. Symbol of marriage. Man should not have a symbol of marriage. But, but today, according to worldly culture, a man and a woman 
both wear the ring. Okay, and we wonder why we have these uh, confrontations and these contests in in our in our marriages because the lines have been blurred. Whose role is what? Okay, we need to get this marriage thing right. Okay, uh, and, and and once more we see the pastor. You watch just about any preacher on television, and he's standing up before you with his wedding ring on. He's being political. Okay. He knows that's what people want to see. The average person wants to see that he is a married man and he's wearing his wedding ring when a man, according to Paul, symbols of marriage are strictly for women. In the Old Testament, women wore a veil. They wore a head covering. Men didn't. Okay. This kept order. It kept it keeps order. But today, those lines have been blurred. The church are creating their own problems. They're doing they're doing the work of the devil for the devil. You know, we need to get back to the drawing board and get these things right. Okay. Um, so once again, marriage is extremely important. You know, I remember I was in church one time and this man propo proposed to a woman and he got down on one knee. I mean, the preacher should have stood up and stopped him right there. And like, hey, we're going to talk about this later, but we, we I can't allow you to do that. Why? Oh, ain't that sweet and innocent? No, no. You have to understand people of God. Anytime you bow before something, that's a form of worship. And God did not create a woman for a man to worship. That's not the purpose. Okay, that that's misuse. That's what abuse is. It's the misuse of something. That's not the purpose for the creation of woman. God created woman to be a help to man. But see, the world and Satan has created this cute, seemingly innocent gesture that a man get down on one knee and propose. And usually when that's done, everybody gasps and say, oh, ain't that sweet? Ain't that sweet? No, it's not. It's a form of worship. And, 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 and Romans chapter one warns of that. It's talking about homosexuality primarily in that chapter, but it talks about idolatry and people worshiping the creation rather than the creator. Get that worshiping the creation rather than the creator. It's almost a standard nowadays for a man to get down on one knee before a woman and propose to her when he wants to marry her, you know, and uh, why it, it reminds me of Old Testament Israel, how they would fall into idolatry time and time again. And it was it was because Satan is subtle and he's sneaky and he's tricky and he can he can make something wrong seem right and he can make something dark seem light. That's how Satan works. So don't be tricked by worldly standards and worldly tradition and worldly culture. You know, Jesus says your, tradi your tradition has made the word of God of no effect, he said. Okay. So once again, we are talking about the year in review. The end of 2018. We covered the rapture. Today, we've covered a lot of marriage talk. We, we, we talked about what the elect is as far as uh, uh, today. You know, how important um, is it to understand what it means to be the elect of God? You know, some people might feel like, oh, it's, it's being a Jew. Well, not today it isn't. You know, it's about believing in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Okay. So understand that, understand that. Um, it's been a, it's been a pretty good year, hopefully for you. It's been a pretty good year for me. And, um, hopefully 2019 would be a good year for you also. If 2018 wasn't a good year, hopefully 2019 will be, uh, pray that it will. Pray that it will. Pray that 2019 would be a good year. Pray that 2019 would be a year where needs would be met, where we would be able to see God more, where we would be able to hear God's voice more, 
where we, we would be under, be able to understand his word more uh, so that we can get breakthrough more. You know, Jesus said, ye shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. You don't have no choice but to be free when you get the truth. Um, I talked about that at the beginning of this broadcast, um, how important it is, you know, to get the word of God and to get it right. And to me, the best way to do that is to interpret scripture by scripture. You know, uh, we can't we can't afford to interpret scripture the way grandma did or the way grandpa did or the way uncle did or the way auntie did. We got to our, our mama or daddy did. We got to interpret scripture by scripture so that we can get the truth of the matter. Um, I like to encourage you to try to look for your final answer to whatever it is you are, are researching or have a question to by using the King James Version. I also like the Young's Literal Translation. That's a good, good one too. The Young's Literal Translation. But what I'm finding out more and more when you read these Bibles that are published in the 1900s, 1950s, 1960s, 1970s, all the way up to now, they have a lot of compromising, a lot of compromising. Uh, back to the shacking up topic, the woman at the well. OK, here's one good example before I, I sign off on this broadcast, the woman at the well. Jesus is at the well and he sees a woman drawing water there. And he says to the woman, this is in John chapter four, give me the drink. And then um, she said, why are you being a Jew? Ask me a Samaritan for something to drink. The Jews don't have no dealings with the Samaritans. He said, well, if you knew who I was, you would ask me for something to drink. She said, you don't have nothing to draw water with. And then he says, well, my, my waters are everlasting waters where you would never thirst again. The waters that you have, you would thirst again. You know, and then it's to have more conversation, okay? But she says, give me your water where I would never thirst again. And then he says, go get your husband, okay? In John chapter four, she says, I have no husband. Jesus said, you have rightly said you have no husband because you have had five husbands, Watch this. Now, this is King James. This is Young's literal translation. This might even be American Standard translation. He says, for you have had five husbands and the man you are now with is not your husband. OK, now some of the newer translations add the word living. OK, the NIV, I believe, and some of the newer translations that you find today. They add the word living. The New King James, I believe, add the word living. The man you are now living with is not your husband. As if Jesus was making a case that she was living together with a man and didn't have a marriage license. Marriage licenses didn't even exist back then. So the word living adds a whole new narrative to the story. And that's why I want to warn you against these new Bibles. They do that. They implement modern day tradition into the Bible. And not a lot of times that takes you down a path that's not scripture. Okay. The King James version says the man you are now with is not your husband. This woman was at the well drawing water because she was a prostitute and she was getting water ready for this John that was waiting on her, this paying customer, this John that was waiting on her. That was the man she was now with. So some teach that this woman, this very woman in John chapter four could be the same woman uh, in Luke chapter seven. I believe uh, the sinful woman that, 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 that washes Jesus feet with her tears and wipes them with her hair. OK, this woman was a prostitute, people. This woman wasn't a woman. I was living with her living boyfriend. It wasn't about that. OK, so that's a great example of what I'm talking about right there. You know, beware of these new translations. They can take you down a strange path. It's not even scripture. OK. <clears throat> OK, uh, I'm going to wrap up a little bit early today. Um, 
But hopefully you have a great 2019. Hopefully, if you had a rough 2018, 2019 would be a whole lot better for you. Pray that it will be. Um, thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast, Year in Review. Uh, I'm your host, Tim Aaron. You can also check me out at Get Your House in Order. Uh, no, excuse me, ThiefInTheNightMinistries.com. That's ThiefInTheNightMinistries.com. Um, you can find out more about me and my ministry, and you can also post a question or comment. Uh, look me up. I would love to hear from you. That's ThiefInTheNightMinistries.com. Okay, um, tune in every Saturday on this radio broadcast, internet radio broadcast. Um, Resilient Christian Radio Network, 5 p.m. Central Time. Um, so tell family and friends about the show, how I like to deal with issues, controversial issues, because it's about the truth, people. It's always about the truth. got to follow the truth wherever it may take us. Because ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Okay, thank you for tuning in. And my brothers and sisters above all, I wish that you prosper and be in good health, even as your soul prosper. God bless. Take care. Peace. Thank you for listening to the show. We hope that you were blessed by the message from the Word of God. Come back next time for more of Get Your House in Order. I'm leaving this cold world, going up yonder to that holy place. I'ma sit down, talk with Peter, sit down, talk with Paul, and I'ma say, take me to Jesus, the one who really paid it all for me. This world, this Get Your House in Order is copyrighted by Thief in the Night Ministries and the Resilient Christian Radio Network.